At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Join Justin Townsend and the Harvesting Nature crew as they explore the world of cooking wild fish and game while sharing recipes, tips, tricks, and lessons learned from their pursuit of wild food. We sure hope you ate before the show, because you're going to leave hungry. This is the Wild Fish and Game Podcast. Hey everybody, welcome back to Harvesting Nature's Wild Fish and Game Podcast. You got your host here. Justin Townsend, and I'm with another fellow podcast host, uh, Adam Berkelmans, who's the host of our Antler and Finn podcast. Also, uh, worked on a lot of the food, uh, I would say all the food, at our wild pig camp. We're going to talk a little bit about that tonight um, from a different perspective. Uh, We've talked about pig camps sort of like I introduced them last year uh in a message and then you know in a sorry in a episode and then we did a recap with the crew or with uh, the guest and the crew uh at the end of the spring camp and so at the conclusion of this December camp we elected not to because that sort of process of the camp is really the same but uh we had some great food as always but I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, what it looks like kind of behind the curtain for the food. And then we had some really crazy food that uh, I don't think any of us expected, but uh, capitalize on that. So we'll, we'll discuss that as well. First up, though, I wanted to kind of cover some news and stuff uh, of things going on, kind of as always. So um, for me, been working on some recipes Uh at the time you are listening to this, probably about a week back, we uh, I released a African-inspired recipe uh, with some wild hog shanks, and that one uh, based on I'll say African because I used sort of South African preparation methods and some of the flavorings, but I also used some North African, very specifically like Egyptian spices, um, but pretty pretty proud of that so it was like a wild hog stew and adam do you know how to pronounce the is it potjikos it's it's a tough one it's actually poiki poikikos poikikos okay so i spent some a little bit of time in in south africa and uh it took me a while to figure out how to say that properly but yeah so the is it p-o-t-j-i 
E K O S, and then it's pronounced Poikikos or Poiki. Yep. Poikikos. Okay, cool. So yeah, so that's sort of the preparation method. Which, if you go through and read the article, I'll put the link in the show notes. It uh, dives into a little bit, but like the the Poik. I'm probably going to butcher this like eight times, is the commonly used like cooking vessel. Think of like a Dutch oven with three legs. It's kind of rounder shaped and to be used kind of cooked over an open fire and traditionally used a lot of game ingredients because if if you don't know, like Africa has a lot of game. And uh, as the settlers and they say pioneers came to South Africa, Southern Africa to sort of expand a little broader, uh, whatever they would shoot throughout the day they would uh, cut up and add into that and make evening stews uh, which came out really well but what I liked about this one is uh, incorporated that the duka probably not saying that right either or duka or daka there's several different pronunciations and several different spellings of it but it's a Egyptian and Middle Eastern spice that uses uh, a varieties of nuts and herbs to flavor it really really good um, the spice recipe in that has enough to have extra if you want to try it out later. It's also commonly used in just like oils and you put the spice in there and you can just dip bread or pita or, you know, whatever you have in it. And also a great marinade for meats as well. Uh, if you're getting them ready, probably for the grill, I would recommend. But uh, this I did sort of like a braised shank, uh, use pork shanks. You could easily use some venison shanks as well, but... Uh, pretty exciting recipe. I don't know, Adam. Did you look at it? What are What are your thoughts? Oh yeah, I was. Uh, I noticed it, and uh, like I said, I spent some time in in South Africa, and I have um, a brother in law from there. So I actually he they him and his uh, my sister in law brought me back a poiki pot, which is awesome. So I've gotten to cook from it, and uh, so I was super excited to see the recipe, and uh, also excited to hit it up on Antler and Finn. I think at one point because that kind of recipe has lots of juicy history and everything that I can get into. So pretty excited about it. Um, and I love I, duck of spice. That's how I pronounce it. I don't know if that's right or not. But uh, the way I liken it is kind of to everything bagel spice, but the African style. It's it's really it's really delicious. So um, I hope everyone, even if you don't have wild pork, you can make that recipe with, with regular pork uh, shank. And uh, yeah, I think it's, it'd be awesome. Yeah, and then uh, this evening I just finished up a batch of uh, catfish makeka. So uh, looking at like kind of the firm fish, and we had some catfish on hand, and uh, I'd been thinking about some very like spicy, hearty soups, and uh, the Brazilian makeka came came to mind, and that's just a. Uh, I found like a cool trick that I really enjoyed is. Uh, how you keep the fish from breaking up is like as you've sauteed your vegetables you just kind of you take half the vegetables out spread the other half around the bottom of the pot layer your fish on top of it the raw fish and then put your other vegetables on top and then pour your liquids on top of that and then bring it to a simmer and don't stir it you just let it simmer and that keeps like those big hearty chunks of like fish that way it doesn't break apart that's a good idea yeah. Very cool. So pretty pretty stoked to to use that in some other recipes too. But uh, not 100% if I'll put together a recipe for that, uh, partially too because my family is devouring it, and I don't know if I'll get a chance to take some pictures. But if I remake it down the road, I'll, I'll definitely do it. So uh, fun stuff. Um, outside that, so 
The fall slash winter issue of the Harvest of Nature magazine's out. Uh, that's available electronic or print on demand. Head over to the website for that. Our spice blends. Um, we got pretty much wiped out for Christmas. Like we're out of stock on. Oh geez, we're out of stock on the Upland game. We're out of stock on the Big game. I think we've got like three bottles of the Wild Fish left and a few of the Small game and the uh, Waterfowl. So. Um, Still have some of those in. If you're looking for some other orders, we will have them back in stock in January. Um, but we do have the Wild Food Spice Kit, which gives you like a whole variety of all of them in like one tablespoon packets. Um, and that uh, that is a good way to sample everything and then decide on a favorite if you like. Also in that, we included smoked sea salt because we want to give you something you can throw in the backpack or bring in the boat or take with you, you know, in the camper or camping or whatever and be able to have with you to be able to take on adventures and season whatever kind of food you, you have along. So I will say, like, one thing about the spices is I've been, even though they're categorized to, like, you know, uh, big game, small game, waterfowl, upland fowl, fish, all that stuff – they definitely translate well across other types of meat. Like I've used them uh, different ways. Adam did at camp. We'll, we'll probably talk a little bit more about it. But uh, it's pretty easy to to just use the spices. Like, oh, this smells good. This will probably go on good on venison or breakfast sausage or, you know, whatever. So we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. But um, if you are local to Colorado or going to be in Denver in January 12th through the 15th, uh, I will be at the International Sportsman's Expo, the convention center here in Denver, um, presenting those days, but we'll also have a Harvesting Nature booth set up. We'll be selling shirts. We'll be selling hats. We'll be selling spice blends, cookbooks. Uh, all the fun things that we have. So if you want to come say hey uh, to me and, and some of the crew, please let me know. And then also all of our pig camps for 2023 are up on the website, available for purchase, reservation, whatever you want to call it. Um, so those are there. So if you feel really inspired by this episode, which you should, um, you can go reserve your seat in the spring or winter 2023. And then, uh, all right, I'll kick it over to Adam. Adam, uh, what updates do you have? I haven't seen you in a couple weeks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we just got to hang out at the pig camp, which is great, because usually we only get to hang out online like this. So that was a, that was a lot of fun. But um, I'm back in Canada. Um, I arrived at my home, I live on a lake, and there, it was actually iced over when I got home, which I was kind of surprised to see, and happy to see, because that means I'm a little bit closer to ice fishing season here. Um, I was talking to some neighbors today, and a few of them are going to try to go out on the ice just close to the shore uh, tomorrow, so I think they said there's about three inches or so of ice right now, um, so I'm pretty excited about getting out for ice fishing season, I have to get all my stuff, all my gear together. Um, but other than that, I'm just kind of taking a rest, like after the fall season of hunting and butchering, I did quite a bit of butchering for friends and neighbors, um, white tails, and then also some, some pigs, um, like domestic pigs. Um, so I was pretty busy, so I'm just kind of been taking the time to, to relax and do all the Christmassy kind of things and traveling or whatever. Um. And then other than ice fishing, there's not much happening here. I might get into 
preparing for potentially a spring bear hunt or some snow goose um, hunting in the spring. So I want to try to get all my ducks in a row, so to speak, and, and make that happen because I've been kind of planning on it the last couple of years and it hasn't really worked out. So so I'd like to get one of those hunts at least going in the spring. And uh, yeah, that's about it for me. Nice. Yeah, I, I've, uh, I've kicked around some thoughts about spring bear. Definitely going to get after some goose here or geese uh or maybe goose if I only get one but uh some geese here in uh the the winter time now that we're officially in winter um so we'll see but uh let's uh let's let's move over and talk a little bit about um about some of the food at camp so I'll give you kind of you know I mentioned earlier we talked quite a bit about camp in detail, right? So you come to one of the wild food camps, culinary camps, whatever you want to call it, skills camps. And the goal is, is for us to get you comfortable shooting, get you out hunting, and then butchering, processing, and cooking wild pigs. So in the future, we're going to have camps that sort of uh, translate the same methodology across different species, get into fishing, get into bird hunting, get into all these different things where food is still the focus. And, you know, Adam and I are both very food focused individuals. So that's one reason I wanted to do this show is to like give you the perspective of the food and to give you kind of the why. So yes, we want you to have all these skills to go out and acquire your own food, right? If you can hunt a pig, if you can butcher a pig, you can pretty easily translate that over into deer hunting or, you know, small game. Like you're not going to you're not going to uh, break down a hind quarter of a squirrel or something, but you know, there are opportunities to like follow some of the same processes, understand anatomy and, you know, uh, preserving game for the freezer, all that stuff. So that being a big focus, but the food is a connection point across the way. And I, I really want to emphasize that, um, that, also, too, we want to talk about the food that you eat at camp um, because that's another very important part of it is that the way in which we're structured the camp from a culinary perspective is you're eating that animal the entire time you're there. And I think with a pig, it's pretty easy to uh, to do because there's so many various cuts and parts. And uh, I think – the availability of pig and the invasiveness of them makes them an ideal species to target and eat and for us to promote the consumption. So, um, I don't know, Adam, do you have some thoughts on sort of the, the why behind the, the food connection that we have with the camps? Yeah, I think for me, cause I'm the camp cook for the most part, we do cooking classes and I'm cooking for the, like all the meals for the camp. Um, and I kind of just want people to see how versatile the pig is. So I, we usually show up a little early, um, hunt a few pigs and have them as, as kind of camp, camp meat. Um, and then I try to do something with pretty much every part of the pig while we're there. Um, so everyone gets to try or has the opportunity to try every single part of the pig. Um, I know talking to a few guests in the last two camps on the way in, they're like, oh, you know, I'll probably just take home this and that, like the, the steaks and the roasts and whatever. And by the end of the weekend, they're like, oh, no, maybe throw in the heart and the liver and the 
kidneys and the fat and the skin and whatever. So I think after trying examples of what can be done with all these different parts of the pig, they're a lot more excited about maybe bringing it home and trying it out for themselves, which is really important to me because I really kind of base everything I do on a nose-to-tail eating basis where I want people to to experience the entire animal. If you're going to be eating these animals, the best way to honor them, I think, is to you know, use the, the whole thing and, and enjoy it and learn how to enjoy it and how to cook it properly. And, and for a lot of people, it's their first exposure to a lot of these parts and cuts and dishes is at this pig camp. And uh, so I'm, we're kind of there, I think, to change minds and to expose people to new things and to um, get people excited about what's like the possibilities of what these pigs can offer in terms of um, nose and tail eating. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we highlighted something too, kind of in our, our first intro to cooking wild pigs. Like, so now everyone gets a, everyone gets the hog book as part of their, their attendance in the camp. Uh, and, and for those who don't know, that's like a James Beard award winning, uh, cookbook by Jesse Griffiths, uh, focused solely on wild pigs. And so we, we do, a a good course going through that using it sort of like a textbook and then it's referenced throughout the camp in various aspects and butchering and cooking and all those things like that. But, uh, in, in the first few pages of it, he has like his, his tenants for eating wild pigs. And like the first one is, is like all wild pigs are edible. Some wild pigs taste better than others. And like, you know, et cetera, it goes through those. And we really try to hit on that. And I think, looking from the food perspective like we come out of the gate swinging so uh day one when when you arrive to the camp or hors d'oeuvres and these aren't just like you know uh meat on toast adam can you give us a rundown of what the hors d'oeuvres look like uh this last camp on on day one sure do you want me to go through every every one of them yeah sure okay Okay, so we started with um a hog's head riette uh, Riette is uh, a French style of pâté where meat is cooked down really slowly and then broken down and kind of whipped with like a wooden spoon until it's broken down into very small threads. And then that's mixed with the, the cooking liquid and some of the fat and it turns into a spreadable um, pâté kind of thing. So um, it's often made with a shoulder, but we make it with an actual wild pig head that we cook for the whole day and then take all the meat off the cheeks and, and everything and um, whip it into riettes. So that's always a, a favorite at the camp. And then we get into some braised and seared tongue. So when we're making the riettes with the head, we throw in some tongues into the pot as well. Um, braise those down until they're nice and soft, skin them, slice them, sear them, and they're just these beautiful, crunchy, kind of fatty, delicious little bites. Um, my favorite is having them in tacos, but we don't have enough tongues around to make tacos for everyone, so everyone gets to try some bites. Um, <laughs> then I moved into grilled heart. So I use a harvesting nature big game blend and simply just that and some salt, um, grilled or se- grill or sear the heart. And I cut them into steaks. I kind of open them up, trim them, cut them into steaks, and then slice those. So... That's always really nice. And people, every time I feed someone heart, they're like, oh, this is just like meat. <laughs> I think people really expect it to be 
like a wobbly livery kind of thing, and then they're always, but a heart is just a muscle, so they're always pleasantly surprised at how much like a tenderloin steak or something it is. Um, and then I had some liver pate, and I've been, I've always made pretty decent pate, but I've been getting better every year. I've been getting all the, the spices and the, and the balances right, um, and making it better every time I make it. So I make this one, and it's a really smooth kind of mousse style pate where I uh, um, cook the liver, grind it down through a meat, the small plate of a meat grinder, and then spend quite a long time uh, passing it through a sieve. And we've broken a few sieves, so there's always a bit of a sieve need for sieves at the uh, pig camp. But uh, pass it through a sieve and then scrape all the um, kind of foam off, and that turns into this really nice spreadable pate. Um, and at, uh, at the camp, um, Brendan and Cheyenne, they're the caretakers. Uh, they work there, the staff, and that's his favorite thing in the world. So always make a little extra for him. Um, we did some smoked inside and outside round from the hindquarters. Uh, just some big game spice, Harvest Nature big game spice. Put them on the smoker, let them go, and slice those up. So it's pretty simple, but really nice. Um, the biggest hit probably is the... Uh, pork fat and the pork fat cookies. So last year I made some pork fat um, peanut butter cookies. And this year I changed it up a bit. I made um, what I was calling pork candy. So we got a really fatty pig. Uh, I chopped up the belly meat, smoked it, and then tossed it in a whole bunch of brown sugar and spices and cooked it in the oven until it turned into candy basically. And then I rendered out some leaf lard fats. That's the fat found around the kidney um, of the animal. And it was traditionally been used in baking because it has a very mild flavor. Um, and then I make the, the cookies with the pork lard instead of, the, instead of butter. And then I mix the pork candy bits into the cookies. So it was like a pork cookie. And uh, they went very fast. They tend to <laughs> always go fast. Um, I made those. Those were probably my favorite. Yeah, I think I like them this year a lot better than last year too. I think um, yeah, I know where to go from here with that. Um, so I made some sushi rolls with uh, braised pulled pork shoulder. Uh, so it's just pork shoulder, like pulled pork basically, and, and barbecue sauce rolled up into sushi rolls with uh, sweet bourbon pickles. Uh, so it's like a little bite of barbecue with some Japanese kind of flavors. They're really nice. Um, I braised down the tenderloins in a white miso and milk combination. Uh, so there's an Italian milk braised pork dish um, that I was inspired by. And I added miso to the mix and it creates like a really funky, cool, different uh, flavor. And they're really tender. Um, did some... Double kidneys with uh, plum jelly, and I found some uh, Kirsch liqueur, which is like a uh, I don't know, like a German or Belgian cherry liqueur at the just in the liquor cabinet there. So I used some of that, and it made it really nice. It was like so it's like hot mustard, um, plum jam, and Kirsch and cherry liqueur. So that was kind of cool. And lastly, um, Adam Steele, who's the butcher instructor for the camp made up some seared um, rib tomahawk chops, which he barded with some of the back fat. Um, so barding is just taking like a you know, half inch of, of the back fat, tying it to the actual chop. Uh, 
And then he wrapped everything in call fat. And the call fat is a lacy membrane of fat that's around the, um, kind of holds all the organs in. And it, it's not used too often anymore, but it's, traditionally it was used quite a bit. And it's great for wrapping things. When you cook it, when you cook it, it kind of bases itself in the fat and holds everything together. And it's really beautiful. And those were absolutely incredible. Um, so that was our little welcoming feast. So it was there was quite a lot there for everyone to try. And uh, that's kind of what people first walk into the building, and that's waiting for them when they come in. So it's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. It definitely... It, it sets the tone for the for the weekend of like you now have people sort of like conversing and talking about what is you know arguably considered to use the words of Hank Shaw like the wobbly bits right and people get excited about that and once you've got people excited about sort of the wobbly bits you can get them easily excited about the other cuts of meat and I think uh, I think about that tomahawk steak and holy smokes man that thing that was so good and i will say this on like call fat um i'd like to do like a whole episode on call fat in the mm-hmm. future um but i think that call fat in wild game because too like mule deer elk uh black bear like a lot of these things like you find call fat and pretty good and sometimes that's the only like usable fat you're finding on animals because they're so lean depending on what type of year and their diet but man that call fat's versatile and i i've got i think i've got two vac seal bags small bags of it uh up in my uh freezer of both mule deer and antelope uh from my my last trip in wyoming and i'm gonna do some some i've seen people use them meatballs burgers like wrap steaks in them like all kinds of stuff so uh definitely looking forward to playing around with that call fat a little more but holy smokes talk about an opening day for uh for cuisine hunting boots are a critical component of any successful hunt whether walking a short distance to your blind or trudging miles through rugged terrain your feet are carrying the load Without the right boots, you could give up early and lose out on that trophy just over the ridge. At Midway USA, we make selecting boots for your next hunt easier. With just a few clicks of a mouse, you can decide on what's important, like waterproofing, insulation, size, width, and savings. For just about everything for shooting, hunting, and the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. I want us to talk about 
the other days here in just a minute, but I kind of want to go through uh, some of like the surprise food that we have. And this is uh, happened happened inadvertently both camps that we ended up with something. Uh, no promises that it'll continue, but we we always like to capitalize on opportunities to to see food. But um, what was it? Uh, the May camp we had. We had lots of different types of cured sausages and stuff. Like Adam brought some stuff from Florida. He brought some ham. Um, Casey brought some things. And then uh, the the owners of the ranch that we host the camp at, they had a bunch of different sausages and uh, cured meats in the in the freezer that they're like, yeah, let's let's try it. And I think what we tried. Nil guy was one that I remember. Water buffalo, I think we had. Do you remember some of the other things we had, Adam? Yeah, we did. Um, we did yak, elk. I think we did elk sausage. We did bison meatballs. Um, yeah, the yak steaks were really cool. I never thought I would try yak in my life, but it was actually really delicious. Um, yeah, so there were a few other kind of yeah, nil guy. Some just some big game kind of stuff in there. Um, I was like a kid in a candy store when he said I could go jump in the freezer and grab whatever I wanted to cook something up for everyone. I was uh, probably had a huge smile pasted on my face there. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so I, it was kind of like the welcoming <laughs> feast. It was kind of an exit feast. We made like a spread of, of all different things and uh, everyone got to to try some foods they'd never tried before, including us, um, which is really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it was it was super neat, uh, totally unexpected. And then this camp, uh, a hot topic of conversation right now on social media, uh, we had two things for like two animals for the final feast. Uh, one was rattlesnake, and the other was coyote, which we cooked both, or I should say, Adam cooked both. We we thought about it and combined our superpowers together and came up with uh some delicious dishes um man yeah so i'll I'll talk a little about the coyote we could talk about the recipes and then we can talk about sort of the feelings after the fact because definitely um i'm not a predator hunter but i've got some thoughts uh for sure but so the coyote came to be the rattlesnake came to be because uh brennan and cheyenne uh you know it's texas and there's rattlesnakes and um occasionally they come across them and occasionally they get shot uh that's just kind of like the way it works and uh so cheyenne is like hey i tried to cook rattlesnake uh a few weeks ago you know after you and i talked about it last camp this would be the spring camp um she said i didn't really wasn't really happy about how it turned out but I saved one. It's in the freezer if you guys want to cook it up. And, I, you know, me, I was like, absolutely. So uh, Adam and I talked, and he came up with a great rattlesnake recipe. Um, do you want to walk us through your recipe a little bit for the for the rattlesnake? Sure. Um, so I never cooked rattlesnake or tried rattlesnake, and it's always interesting approaching a recipe or making something the first time if you've never even tried it before. Um, but so I looked online and every single recipe I found, there were, there were a few, every single one, it was either fried or smoked rattlesnake. So me being me, I didn't want to follow suit and, and, uh, do what everyone else is doing. I had to do my own stupid thing. So 
I decided to do um, a stir fry instead. So I chopped the rattlesnake into chunks, which was much harder than I expected. I really had to get the blade going through. It's like pretty tough. Um, and then I stir fried it in a hot wok with a, with some sesame oil. And it's kind of a Xian style, which is like a Northwest uh, Chinese style. Uh, it has scallions, cumin, and laoganma chili crisp, which is like a super umami, delicious, slightly spicy chili chili oil. Um, so I did like a really hot wok and just stir fried it like that, and uh, tossed lots of seasoning. So this the seasoning was really there, but not completely covering the the snake itself. Um, and that was pretty good. The, the only thing I would change, having never cooked snake before, I found it was a little tough. I would probably parboil it or something beforehand to try to tenderize it a little bit before hitting it up in the in the wok. Um, so next time I encounter a snake, which probably won't be up in Canada, um, I'll uh, I'll do it like that. I'll uh, <laughs> I'll tenderize it first and then hit it up in the in the wok probably. So I, um, I've prepared rattlesnake before uh, in a soup, and if you go to the Harvest Nature website, you can get the rattlesnake soup recipe there. But I did, I did in fact, parboil it before uh, in water and lemon juice and then um, left it intact and then took a fork and, like, flaked the meat off the, the rib bones, essentially, I guess is what I would equate it to, and then use that to, like, sprinkle into the finished uh, – soup which was like a tomato based similar like a a southern style turtle soup um but sub rattlesnake for turtle soup and add, add a bit of sherry in there and uh you know it's it's quite tasty but um yeah no i i enjoyed the rattlesnake i think uh, a lot of great feedback on the rattlesnake um pretty pretty impressed i think uh, everybody was happy with it so mm. I think um, a lot of people I've been telling telling these stories to you since I, I've gone back from Texas, um, they'll ask me what rattlesnake tastes like. Uh, so just for our listeners who haven't tried it before, I think the closest thing I could kind of compare it to is if you've tried frog legs or alligator. Um, it's like this weird place between fish and chicken. It doesn't taste like fish or chicken, but the texture is kind of there. And it has its own very mild flavor. There's nothing too crazy about it, but it's still quite lovely. And another question I keep getting is if it's venomous, if there's poison in or venom in it, like when you're cooking it. And the answer is no. When you take the head off, the the um, venom sacs or whatever are removed with it and it's perfectly safe to eat. So I've uh, answered those two questions quite often. So I thought maybe the, mm-hmm. the listeners would also have them. <laughs> no, no, that's great. Um, I would say like thinking through the flavor, I agree with you on the frog legs piece. Just uh, I find the only difference being that uh, I find frog legs to kind of have that aquatic-y kind of swampy taste mm. to them. And I think rattlesnake, same texture, just void of that sort of aquatic taste. Yeah, I agree with that for sure. So it's 
Um, and so the other thing we had was the the coyote, which was unexpected, um, but very interesting. So there on the ranch that we use uh, for the pig camp, they've got a portion of the area is high fenced, and they have uh, pigs live there as well as other animals that they use, uh, exotic animals uh, for hunting and whatnot. So. They try to manage that uh, that population of animals pretty closely, and with that comes uh, the intrusion of coyotes. Um, you know, coyotes identify prey and and uh, want to eat it just like us. They enjoy delicious meats. Um, while we were there, they had a very mature audad look like it had. Uh, the diagnosis was that it was running away from something, tripped, and broke its neck. Um, the, the consensus was that maybe it was running from a coyote. Um, so they had found a spot in the fence where it looks like coyotes had got in and out. And so they set up a snare there and, uh, the snare later in the, the weekend caught a coyote and then they, they shot the coyote. And my immediate thought was, uh, I've never eaten coyote. Uh, because I don't tend to go out and target it and but I wanted to try it and with the great culinary minds that we had present at this camp uh, I thought it the perfect opportunity of like if everybody's gonna try it let's try it here and let's make something really awesome from it and uh, so that's kind of how we ended up and if you go over to our Instagram page over at Harvesting Nature, you'll see me talking about this coyote with the coyote uh, skin, like hanging out there after uh, we had taken, um, we took the the loins off of it, and I believe the back quarters, correct, yeah. Adam? I forget what specifically we took. Yeah, it was shot through the front quarters, so they were unusable, so I took the, we took the hind quarters and the loins off of it. Which... Which was interesting because so as as we were skinning so as we were skinning the animal, you could definitely smell this like very odd smell. Uh, it was not appeasing at all, uh, and that ran through even to towards whenever I like. So I we took the quarters and the loin off, which you don't have to take the guts out or anything for that. But I did that uh, because I wanted to check the liver. Uh, for spots or any indication of like sickness i also wanted to check the heart for indication of like heartworms or any parasites and then we also checked the tongue of the uh coyote as well to check for indications of like uh any infections or sickness or things like that so all those checked out okay so we went ahead and moved through the process of of consuming it uh we're very careful with cooking temps as well um but also I don't think I've ever smelt an odor as I smelt. And then sort of like replaying the entirety of like how the coyote came to us and in the snare and shot and all that stuff. Like it, uh, it was snared around sort of what would be, it's like back hips, uh, towards the back quarters. And so that was kind of like the stress point. And we think with it being caught, like a lot of the adrenaline and stress, uh, came to materialize in the flavor of the not the flavor of the meat but like in the initial like just the animal smelled very odd i don't know how to describe it do you have adam do you have any thoughts i don't i don't 
know how to put it to words. <laughs> yeah, it was a unique smell, which is why I was struggling with it. But it was strong and and sharp. It's quite sharp. It was like a little bit of wet dog mm-hmm. and a little bit of, I don't know, something very, very sharp to the point where we're like, should we be eating this? But um, when I took the meat away from the from the animal itself, the meat smelled perfectly fine, like very fresh, nothing, no weird smells at all, um, which led me to think that it's probably fine to eat. But it's uh, everyone who is dealing with it, and a couple of people have written to us on the on that Instagram thread as well and said that skinning them, the, the smell is so horrible that they could never imagine eating it. Um, so they must emit some sort of pheromone or scent uh, during that process that's hard to stomach. But the meat itself, if you separate it, is like completely fresh smelling. Smells like like beef or anything else. Um, so there's there's definitely a separation. Like the the smell is coming from not the meat itself, but something else on the animal. Yeah, it's just very odd. Um, but no, I was I was the same mind. Like once we once we got it done uh, and separate from the carcass, it was definitely like all right, yeah, like this. It smells like game meat. It has a different smell to it, just as though, like, venison does, antelope does, beef does, like, pheasant, duck, whatever. Like, they all have their unique smells. Coyote definitely has its unique smell, just just different. And so there were a lot of questions. Uh, I definitely think that was a moment in my mind where I was questioning myself as to whether or not this was a good idea. But, uh... We went ahead and went through with it, um, and Adam, you want to walk us a little bit through uh, a couple of the preparations? Uh, we prepared the coyote three different ways. If you could hit on that, please. Sure. Um, yeah, I wasn't content to just try it one way. I thought we should <laughs> try a different couple different preparations and see just how it turned out. And like we said, we had the the back straps and the the two rear legs. Um, since we were just trying out and experimenting, I didn't like. Usually, I'm very particular about using every single tiny scrap of what I'm cooking or, or butchering or whatever. Uh, but this one, I was a little bit more um, wasteful, I guess, just because we we're experimenting for the first time and didn't know. Um, so I used the um, the two back straps for. I figured I could cook those up like steak bites. And then the um, sirloin tips out of the back legs, I wanted to do, we decided to do like a, a Korean soup, uh, or just, just inspired by the Korean soup, because we didn't have all of the ingredients just available, happened to be available at, this, at the ranch there. But we did have some Korean ingredients, so um, this soup is traditionally, was traditionally made with dog, so, which is like a normal food elsewhere. It's something that a lot of people have strong feelings about but um but it, it is food elsewhere and uh i have a dog at home and i had to do some um, emotional hurdle jumping just to to kind of get my my mind through all that and like justin too i'm not a i'm not a predator hunter and i'm not judging anyone but I, that's something i was never interested in but was interested in trying the meat itself um so we're doing the the steak bites the korean soup and then i figured i wanted to do a kind of a Vietnamese-inspired um, dish that's inspired by something called shaking beef. 
So it's basically like a, a glazed um, glazed steak bites, basically. So I did a hoisin and garlic glazed with a, a nuoc cham dipping sauce, which is kind of like a spicy fish sauce dip. So those were the three dishes that I had uh, scribbled down on a piece of paper and decided to follow through and see if I could pull it off and and kind of hope for them for the best. Because once again, I had never tried coyote. I never I had no idea what the meat was going to be if it's going to taste good or if it's going to be super tough or, or not. So yeah, it was a total like uh, exploration. It was kind of cool. So we, um, we, we tried, so the soup is a uh, boijin tang is what it's called in, uh, in Korea. Um, it's got some variations of like, whether it's beef or dog or whatever is, is the base, but, um, yeah, I don't know, man. I, uh, the food was, the, the meat was better than I thought it was going to be, mm-hmm. uh, which was interesting. I just, um, going into it was very intimidated <laughs> and then to like the butchering of it and, and get, dealing with that smell, it, it took me a little bit to sort of like get past that. And uh, some folks didn't try it because they smelled it while it was butchered and were like, uh, like not not my thing, which is okay. Um, not here to pass judgment on anybody for choices of eating uh, coyote or not, but just wanted to sort of share the experience. Um, I think coming out of it, I still don't think I would ever go out and like purposely target coyote. But I think if the opportunity came up and I was out and there was a coyote present, I would definitely consider harvesting it. And I also say a lot to like the naysayers of those that have prepared coyote and are like, this is the worst thing ever. I recommend they revisit uh, and try some different preparations uh, because I think we, we had a very interesting experience with how the coyote came to be and that sort of put a lot into the meat and shaped the flavor in a certain way. I would be interested to see like the opposite side of it. Like if we had a coyote that wasn't under stress and how that flavor of the meat was different from what we had. Mm-hmm. I can only really assume it would be better even than what we had and what we had was perfectly tasty. Like, by the time I had it cooked, um, all those emotional hurdles and mental hurdles I was talking about were gone. Like at that point, it was meat, and I had no issue trying it at all. I think all the parts where I was struggling a little bit was more when it was like hanging and being skinned, and when I was butcher or when I was butchering the the legs and everything out. Um, once I had it cooked, it was just meat, and I I had no problem with it at all, and uh, I was pleasantly surprised at how many people tried it because there's what 23 or so people there and i would say probably over 18 people tried it and there was nobody who tried it Mm -hmm. didn't like it from what i could see um some people said it was really good some people said it was okay but there was nobody who was like grossed out by it and um a few people even said, like, uh, uh, one yeah. of the people who showed up said that the Korean soup was the best dish he tried in the entire camp. So so there's some, some glowing reviews as well. And uh, 
same with you. I like I can't see myself going in and targeting them in terms of hunting, but if other people are hunting them just for their their hides or whatever, and I happen to be around, I would definitely bring some of the meat home again and do it up. Um, I'm just not that interested in predator hunting, which is like my own thing. But um, I know that most people don't make use of that coyote meat. I would say give it a shot. It's pretty good. Um, and if you don't want it, I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I think I, I think I would be the same way. I definitely got some. So I posted it on on my personal page and uh, on like Facebook and stuff, and I got some very interesting reactions from some of my close friends and family members of like, what what are you doing? <laughs> so no, I think it, it's a good. You know, it's it's it was good food. It was a good experience. Uh, definitely one of those shaped by a lot of emotion, uh, which Ooh. I think is oftentimes what goes into a good meal, uh, because it's not always just about the food. Sometimes it's about you know the environment and and how you feel about the food going into it. So, like I said, I, I would be curious to try it again, but I, I don't see myself out coyote hunting. Uh, specifically but so let's talk a little bit about um a couple of the other days worth of foods and um sort of just give everybody the run through sorry go ahead so i just want to say one thing uh, before we move on is uh, a big thank you to ken i don't know if he's listening but he's uh one of the guys that showed up to two of the camps so far and he brought with him some quail he raised in the backyard and some Arizona wildflower honey and some elk ham that he made on um, with Adam Steele's recipe, which turned out amazing, and homemade pickles. So um, alongside the coyote and the rattlesnake, I also cooked up some of those, that stuff. It made like um, hot and sweet and spicy um, jalapeno garlic quail and kind of put everything out. So so big thank you to Ken for bringing all that stuff with him. It was uh it was awesome and really enjoyed by all of us. So, uh, and it just added to the fun, um, spread this, this thing that keeps happening every time we do these camps is fun spread that just kind of coalesces out of nowhere. Um, and it was, yeah, it was all really good stuff. I, I will say, Ken, thank you for the ham. I did enjoy it. And you'll know what I'm, you'll know what I mean when you hear this. So, uh, Yes. So let's uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the other days. Uh, Adam, you want to run us through uh, a couple of the menu items for day two, and then we can sort of I guess you can do day two and day three just to give us a good idea. Sure. Well, um, so we start with breakfast, and which comes out pretty early, and I just do kind of a a spread for breakfast the first two days. It's like kind of whatever you want if you want. Cereal or oatmeal or um, uh, bread and peanut butter and cold cuts is kind of a big spread. Lots of coffee. I think we were running uh, coffee for 23 people off one tiny little pot. So I think I ran um, 15 pots of coffee the first morning. <laughs> so so the next morning we went out and bought another pot. So, so we could... Uh, <laughs> that was a... Uh, I didn't drink coffee for three days by the, when I got back just from that experience. But uh, moving on into lunch, uh, <laughs> I made um, pork wild pork banh mi sandwiches, which is uh, 
something I made last time too, but I kind of changed them up a little bit. So some of the, the pate that I made for the, the welcoming feast, I used also for the banh mi. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know, banh mi are uh, Vietnamese sandwiches that were f- kind of um, brought about by French colonization. So it's generally like a, a baguette with pate and cold cuts and some pickles and cilantro and stuff like that. Um, where we were shopping, I couldn't find rolls or French uh, baguettes, so I actually used ciabatta buns, which worked out just fine. So I did the the pate, uh, smoked uh, pork loin that was uh, marinated in like garlic and fish sauce and a few Vietnamese kind of flavors. Um, and then I smoked it all day and sliced it really thinly. And then there's some like carrot pickles. Um, Cucumber, uh, hoisin, and sriracha, and uh, mayo. Um, those are always a favorite. They're one of my favorite sandwiches of all time, so I always enjoy really making them. And the wild pork just makes them even better. And then moving into dinner, um, we basically have two groups, and they go from, like, they kind of swap during the camp. So, you know, one group is butchering, the other group is hunting, the other group is cooking while the other group is is doing shooting uh so we were moving the groups around so the first night uh had a group and we did um um german style pork schnitzel uh so that's basically um loin or uh, round uh, inside or outside round sliced into cutlets and then pounded um so i got everyone pounding the the cutlets flat and then they're dipped in flour, egg, and breadcrumbs and fried. And it's served with a potato, like a German potato salad and, and cabbage. And I just let everyone in the group decide, you know, which flavors we're going to follow, what kind of salad we're going to make, what kind of choices. They kind of can choose any any um, style. So we could make spicy schnitzel or regular traditional. We could make a creamy salad or a vinaigrette-based salad. So... This group made a um, vinaigrette kind of pickle potato salad and more of a traditional style schnitzel, and yeah, it was delicious. Um, moving into the day three, I guess, I made um, another sandwich. It was uh, kind of a pulled pork sandwich, not like not like the barbecue pulled pork, but um, like no barbecue sauce, but smoked pork shoulder and then slow cooked it until it was falling apart with like rosemary and uh, apple cider vinegar and a few things. Um, Stacked that onto sandwiches with provolone cheese, a bunch of caramelized onions, um, roasted garlic mayo, and sauteed kale. And those are always a pretty pretty big favorite. Almost like a kind of like a hot Italian sandwich. Yeah, it's very kind of northern Italian feeling. It's a... yeah, it's really nice. I, I, I always enjoy that kind of flavor combination. Um, and then for the dinner, the next group, we made uh, gochujang ground pork lettuce wraps. So we took the um, all the trimmings from the pig. So we basically went through nearly the entire pig through the welcoming feast and lunches and dinners. Went through all the scraps and... I uh, showed everyone how to use a grinder, how to grind it up, and then there's they had this big flat top grill outside at the at the camp, 
And um, so we had everyone just kind of frying it up. We added lots of gochujang and spicy flavors, kind of Korean flavors. Um, we had a huge stack of lettuce and kimchi and lots of different pickles and, and sauces available. And everyone just kind of customized their own lettuce wraps. So that was a really fun dinner as well. Um, and then the very last meal was um, breakfast burritos, which made out of ground pork as well. And that was like a uh, kind of like a basic loose sausage and eggs and cheese in a burrito, which is always delicious. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it was all it was all so very good, and um, I think uh, I don't know one of my favorites. I really enjoyed the lettuce wraps. I didn't get any of the lettuce because it was at the end of it. But I got to enjoy it over uh, like rice and with all the fixings and stuff like that, and it was pretty tasty. So I know in the May camp you used the uh, Harvest Nature Upland blend. Did you use it this time too? This time I used the waterfowl blend actually uh, for the Ooh. yeah, and that's what something I was going to say before actually was that I'm honestly not a big spice blend person. Um, because I like making my own, I have like a ridiculous pantry and a ridiculous spice drawer. So I generally don't buy, um, spice blends, but I'm not saying just, just because I'm associated with Harvesting Nature, but it's, they're really good. They're like, they're not like most spice blends. You just get like sugar, smoke, salts and whatever, maybe some cumin or whatever. And they all kind of taste the same. These ones are, they have a lot of depth of flavor. They're not overly salted. So you can control your own salt level, which I really prefer. Um, and there's some interesting, cool influences and, and, um, and flavors in these. So coming from a guy who just doesn't really appreciate or use spice blends, I've been using them and, uh, really enjoying them. So there, there's that <laughs> And the, uh, I use the waterfall blend for the sausage, which, uh, created this really nice flavor that went well with everything. Uh, yeah, they're, they're great. No, I, uh. You know, like I mentioned earlier too, I think those spices are like versatile across pretty much all all game and not overly salty, uh, which is super important because I always value the fact that you can adjust the salt uh, yourself, like towards the end of the meal versus the beginning. Um, and then, yeah, I think just overall, like the the reactions to the food is what really gets me excited. So I know I'm not the one preparing the food. I'm there consuming it and then, you know, sort of participating in the butchering and the classes and the cooking and all that other aspect where I get to. But it has always been a favorite aspect of mine to see people just like really happy and really excited about the food. And I think that's like that's one of the main facets of like why we want people at the camp is to learn all these great things, but two, just to be like super fired up about the food and to be able to be like, yeah, through this camp, we went, we went through one whole pig. Like you tasted everything from, you know, uh, Riet's made with the head to, you know, the liver to, you know, uh, parts of the back quarters. Like you're literally eating your way through the entire pig in a, in a three day span. And two, I think Adam, you mentioned it that you had been you had been butchering pigs like prior uh, domestic pigs prior to coming to the course, and like you'd been eating pig, and you were like, "Oh, I'm kind of like burnt out in pig." But like at no point in the camp 
did I feel burnt out on on wild pig? Yeah, it's totally different. Like eating the domestic pig. Like I love domestic pork. I'm not a, a wild food only kind of person, but uh, and these were like woodland raised, like little farmstead kind of pork. Um, really good heritage breeds, and still. After a weekend of eating, and I was like, okay, I'm done with that for a while. And I think it's because they're so fatty and rich. But the wild pork is leaner and and more flavorful and way more nuanced. And and I, I hope the way that I cook it in, in such a different array of, of, of dishes, yeah, like I just could eat it for another three or four days. Like I don't think anyone ever seems to be sick or tired of it at all which is really interesting to me. It's, it's pretty cool. You know, we, we talked about it too additionally is like, and this goes a little, little more in depth on, on uh, the thoughts behind it, but sort of a lot of the R3 model, you know, when you talk about getting in the world of hunting, sort of like the recruitment, the retention, the reactivation, like not enough of that is focused on food. Mm-hmm. I would say you know, probably half of our, of our class, if not more, uh, this go round, we're like folks coming back into hunting or we're new to hunting. And a lot of them were coming in for food. So to me, like I see that and I've seen it in the conversations I have, especially a lot with like adult onset hunters and just like everybody I engage and talk with people are coming into hunting because of food. They're coming because they're like, yeah, it's a cool experience. I want to go out and I want to be adventurous. I want to do all these cool things. But at the end of the day, man, they want to eat. And I think it's great. But I don't know that our sort of like recruitment, retention, reactivation, R3 model is on the same page with that. And, you know, I've talked about it over the last couple podcast episodes of like my experiences with my daughter's hunter ed class and just like – the the myths that were taught mm. over wild food and i'm just like this is not great like we need to set the record straight right to go back to jesse griffith's tenants right just for wild pigs alone like all wild pigs are edible some wild pigs taste better than others those are like two basic things that like we need to put into people's mind because we've got this resource this wild invasive resource that could be tapped and can be tapped and should be tapped across, you know, the Southern part of the United States plus, you know, wherever else it branches out to you that I think people should hone in on man. And I know it's not going to be hunters alone that are controlling the population of wild pigs, but why not go out and hunt them? Why not eat them? Like it's great. I find it, you know, I'm like you, Adam, like I'm, I'm on, I'm back and forth, domestic, wild, domestic, wild. I eat more, I eat wild at home, but when I'm out and about, I eat domestic, but I'm still very particular about what domestic meats I'm eating. But I think that wild pigs have such a better flavor and that's something we should celebrate. Absolutely. And, and I think like, I'm really seeing it in the in those adult onset hunters, like they're coming in with no strings attached, no traditions, no no thoughts on on what wild games should be. So they're like, you know, like I eat like people 
what are people eating these days? Like you're eating pad thai if you go out for lunch, you're eating sushi, you're eating all these different things. Uh, and they're like, that's what I want to eat. And wild game, wild game can be that very easily. And it's not just, it's not just slow cooker and, and mushroom soup mix. Like it's, it can be anything you want it to be. You just got to cook it right. And it's not that hard. And I think to have this like lean, healthy, delicious meat that's like super local, full of like the, the region's terroir, like there's so much good about it. Every single like kind of um, tenant of what chefs are looking for in their food is just available in wild game. And you can just go out and, and shoot it yourself. Like there were people who had never shot a gun at this camp who went home with whole pigs that they butcher themselves and they were super excited to cook them up and try new things. And, and, um, one guy I was talking to, he's going to make uh, this Thai dish called larb. Um, someone else is going to make, they were really interested in aging it. Um, others want to do like a porchetta kind of thing. So they're just, they're going home super excited to go do really cool things with this pork. And, um, and then you get a lot of like hunters, traditional hunters that have been doing it for a long time to say it's inedible. Um, so it's kind of nice to have like a, a new outtake on it without so much baggage. Um, and hopefully that'll show the, the, the naysayers that, you know, they're, they're, they're wrong. They're, they're, it's, it's a delicious meat and you can do anything you want with it. Yeah, I agree. I don't, uh, I think those, those were kind of our final thoughts. I don't think we need to wrap up with additional final thoughts unless you have, uh, unless you have something else to throw in the mix. Like that's, those are pretty powerful words for sure. Um, I, I'll mention that, um, go ahead. Oh, I was like, uh, I can throw in another, I always have more last thoughts, (laughs) but I was, I would say that like. (laughs) <laughs> everyone everyone has a threshold for what they're willing to eat and I'm not here to tell you that you have to eat more than you do but I think it's important that you keep an open mind and push that threshold step slightly outside of your comfort level um, a lot of people say they won't eat something without ever having tried it um, dealing with these wild pigs like everything is edible except the oink you don't have to eat everything, but you should try or get someone to cook it for you if you're not if you don't trust yourself. But like, keep just pushing the envelope, push that threshold, and and keep trying new things and keep trying to push how much you can eat from these this wild game because there's always going to be more, and in the end, it's always going to be delicious. So, or maybe not always delicious, but if you do it right, it'll always be delicious. So, so keep. Just keep pushing. I think is is it's an important thing to do, and uh, and your life will be better for it. Yeah, I agree with that. I think it's it's good for people to try. Like everybody has their own comfort zones, you know, and in, in learning and a lot on social media and conversations about coyote. Like people will draw a hard line uh, very quickly on something they're not comfortable on. But for those that want to explore, uh, I encourage the exploring. Just as Adam mentioned, like push the boundaries test the waters, taste the meat, uh, and see where it gets you. You know, you may end up like us to people that are like, I, I like coyote. It's okay. Uh, I'll try it again. Uh, type deal. Um, I think too, keep an eye out, uh, everyone, because as I mentioned, we will have other camps and they're going to be the same model, right? 
food is the focus. We're here to hunt. We're here to fish. We're here to forage. But at the end of the day, we want to bring that food back to share with our family and our friends and enjoy, right? That's the goal. And so that's, that's, that is the basis of our camps. And so as we promote and uh, grow into more types of species, uh, I would love to see more of you at these camps and, and please keep an eye out for it. We'll make sure you know about it when they happen. But uh, I want to thank everybody for listening. And uh, as always, show notes will be online. So you can go through and click the links to whatever recipes we mentioned and look at camps and all kinds of uh, recaps and cool information that we talked about tonight. And then uh, please head over to social media. Make sure you're following Adam on uh, the Intrepid Eater over on Instagram and Facebook. And uh, Intrepid Eaters Unite is his Facebook group. Uh, please go check those spots out and then also make sure you're following harvesting nature on, uh, Facebook, Instagram. I think we got banned on Twitter. Oddly enough, I'm gonna have to shoot a a message to Elon, uh, and ask him to unban us, but not sure what happened there. Who knows? Twitter's, uh, Twitter's a weird place, but, um, we're still surviving. And then, uh, as always, whatever podcast platform you're listening to, please punch that five star button. Leave us a review. Tell us what we're doing right or, you know, tell us what we're doing wrong. Thanks, everybody. Have a good night. Pursuing wild game in wild places. Tune in to Hunt Stand Presents Saturdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern. Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Oh, that's awesome. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.